everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ego Check with the IDM. I am your host, Michael Mallon. And joining me today, I'm very excited to welcome Andy Hand from Limitless Adventures. Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yes, this is actually my second interview with you, although first with audio. We we had a back-and-forth email conversation back in 2016, which was uh, really fun to learn about kind of the beginnings of Limitless Adventures and uh, you and your partner, uh, Michael Johnson, how it got started. So it's it's good to actually be speaking to you now. Yeah, you as well. So I guess where I wanted to start, because this episode is kind of serving as a launch pad for, for a product that we've been designing, which feels like for about 12 years, but I really think it's only been about 18 months. I don't know. How, when did this get started? It's It's been quite a while for sure. Uh, Limitless started in April. April 1st of 2016 is, is when we went live, although we had actually been writing products uh, in preparation for the website launch probably since about the, the beginning of the year. Uh, but in our back and forth when you were interviewing me for EgoCheck, uh, we had mentioned the idea of updating some unique NPCs and monsters that you had created for 4th edition. And then sort of naively I – I said, oh, that would be really easy to convert over to, to fifth edition and, and kind of put the bug in your ear for that. But as you said, it ended up taking us a little bit longer, didn't it? Yes, I think, and we'll get into it. I, I think the taking some unique monsters from fourth edition and converting them into fifth edition rules it was a little bit more challenging than certainly I anticipated. And then also life happens, which is something that certainly relates to, to this product. Um, yeah. yeah, so we had started to talk about this idea of taking these 10 monsters that I created because I had been asked by another website way back in 2011 or 2012 to do a kind of a article once a month for a website called This Is My Game. And once a month, I came up with a monster, and I tried to pour a lot into that back in the day. So this is going back, geez, seven, six, seven years ago. And I was, you know, really enjoying writing and really getting into fourth edition and trying to stretch the rules as much as possible. And so each month, I kind of created a character, a monster, stat block, the backstory, the lore, I wrote up kind of flavor text for power descriptions and possible quotes that the monster would say in or out of combat, and I had hired my cousin, Grant Gould, who is a freelance illustrator. He's worked for Tops, he's worked for Lucasfilm, and I had asked him to design, illustrate the character because I wanted to give the article some, some pop. So... It was really fun collaborating with Grant. He and I would come up with design ideas. Either he would come up with an idea first, and then I'd just make it work, build a monster out of it, or I'd tell him a specific idea I had in mind, and he would draw it, and then that would get me excited, and I'd you know write up a background for it. So it was, now, was Grant ever part of your 4E game? No, because at the time I was living down in Texas, and he was up in Minnesota. The good news is I can just report Grant and I just – we played fifth edition just this past week. He was in, 
he was in my game. So we're going through Tales of the Yawning Portal now, which is fun. Yeah, we, we haven't played much. We're trying to get back to a once a month routine, uh, which we're, you know, hopeful. We just played, we just kind of restarted after about a nine month hiatus. So we had a good time uh, this past week and he is a, he's got a dwarf fighter in, in my campaigns who has not really suffered that, that many ill effects yet, but they just turned level two. So he's got time. So yeah, so, you know, he, um, was really helpful in, you know, designing the look of the characters and, and some of the artwork was great. And then that monthly column series went for about nine months and then just stuff of my life got busy. And I think the site that had originally asked me to do it, it wasn't being maintained as well. And those monsters just, they're, they're out there and, you know, years went by and new edition and then we had the conversation and you had asked me like if you wanted to collaborate on something and I thought about it and then I think I had the idea or you had the idea of like, well, what about some of the stuff you've written already? Could we turn that into a product? And that's how it got started. When I started, I thought that fifth edition monsters from a DM point of view were very uh, simple and very easy. They're, they're very clean. Um, they're very easy to run. Um, but then, you know, at that point we were still in early 2016. I hadn't, I hadn't really broken it down and created as many 5e monsters as I have now. I mean, I've created hundreds of them now, but from, it's, it's different that the 5e monsters, the way they feel as a DM and the way that they feel uh, as a game developer are very different. By the end of working on No Assembly Required, I started to feel like these are really restrictive. Right. Yeah, and so that's what we're, we're that's what the series was called back back in the day when I originally wrote it. This I came with the term No Assembly Required because my thought was I, I want to write an article that gives DMs out there who are who are busy, who are just like me, they're maybe procrastinating, they're having trouble preparing for games, that they could open up an article and it's like, boom, here's a monster that everything's done for me. I don't really have to think about it. There's plot hooks, there's stats, there's strategy of how I would run this in an encounter or run it in more of a role-playing situation with a party. Um, so I just really like that title, and we, we stuck with that for this book. No, I think it works well. Um, it's funny because you and I both, we are Limitless Adventures' key customer. Like That's the demographic we're going for is, is adults that, uh, you know, maybe they have children, maybe they work full time. Uh, they want to get to the game table more, but they just don't have the time to sit down and really, you know, flesh out cool NPCs with backstories and, and uh, learn the, you know, the, the steps for creating their own unique and custom monsters so you know we kind of try and take all that work for them and uh, cut their prep time yeah and before we get into the little bit of the nitty-gritty of the vagaries of taking monsters from fourth edition into fifth edition and, and some other kind of details i i don't want to skip the bury the lead too much in that all proceeds from the no assembly required sales, which are offered through your your site at Limitless Adventures, every it costs five dollars, so it's five dollars, and I think it's like thirty some pages now. 
Is that correct? Yeah, I think it's yeah about thirty six pages. Okay, so thirty six pages of content, ten monsters, and it's five dollars. And neither one of us are going to see any of that five dollars. That's not really the point that we um, are doing this endeavor. All money is going to be going to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So if you buy a copy of No Assembly Required, you download the PDF, you have 10 monsters, and $5 is going to, again, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and that's awesome. I'm very excited about that. And you, had, why don't you talk about how that sort of came to be just your idea of having – the proceeds from this go to a charity because that's not how originally how the idea started, but that's we got there eventually, which I'm really happy about. We did. We just in the last few years, we've had so many losses in our community and we've just had it just seemed like it was one after another on Twitter where you would log in and you would hear about someone who, you know, lost somebody at their game table or someone who lost uh, a child or or a, a you know, a family member to suicide. And it just really started to weigh on us. And, and, you know, Michael Johnson and I had already decided that we wanted to try and reach out and, and have some of our products each year uh, go towards charities. Uh, so it just sort of seemed like, um, you know, a logical, a logical step. Yeah. And you had brought this up, I think earlier this year, it's all a little hazy. The last year for me has been a bit um, bit of a whirlwind. And, and the reason for that is so that we're recording right now on a Sunday, and so Sunday the 24th. And this episode is going to come out on Tuesday the 26th. And Tuesday the 26th is exactly uh, one year since my brother completed suicide. And my brother was 45 years old when uh, he made that decision and you know the last year has been a blur there's been sadness and grief and anger and questions and confusion and you know if this I keep looking for outlets or ways to to make a difference to make things better and I certainly can't do that for for his life, but like, how can I do that so other people don't make this decision, other potential survivors of suicide don't have to become survivors of suicide. They can, you know, still have the person they care about in their life. So, one of the things that I continue to think about is how can I make a difference, for lack of a better word, and if I can somehow turn my really geeky hobby into something that affects some change. And if that's raising some money for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and, you know, they can put it towards programs and, you know, help people in various communities, then that sounds awesome to me. So I'm really excited not only that some of this stuff that came out of my head five, six years ago I think it could be beneficial for folks at the table, but, you know, being able to tie it in with something that's really important in, in my life, uh, my brother's suicide, it just kind of makes it more important, for, for lack of a better word. And again, I really appreciate you and your partner being willing to support that and really kind of advocating for that. So uh, thank you. Well, you know, we're, we're very happy to do it. 
Um, we think that it's uh, it's a good way to get people engaged in in the conversation in sort of a positive light. You know, they're at the table, they're they're really enjoying the content that you wrote, and you know, the DM can say, "Oh yeah, well, you know, this was in, this was a no brainer because all of the proceeds went to this." Um, to this charity and get people at the the table talking about it and uh, and hopefully like you said raising awareness and and raising some some money for the for the foundation and it really was a nice way to it's kind of selfish but it was a nice way for me to not have to confront my discomfort with self promotion <laughs> yeah because I think if we were in, a, in an alternate universe where we're not you know, sending the proceeds to some charity, I think I'd be kind of hesitant to be like, hey, buy this book. It's it's stuff I wrote. Like, it's really, you know, I think you'll have a good time with the content. I, I think I'd be a little bit more reserved with that or careful or squeamish maybe is the best word. That self-promotion gene, I, 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 don't, I don't have that. However, with it being for charity, I think I'm going to, just promote the heck out of it. <laughs> Be, um, yeah, well, and it just, it, it just feels more right. It just feels like something that makes sense. I'm really hoping that people check it out. And, you know, the nice thing about the AFSP, again, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and we'll, we'll both, you know, post the links on Twitter and our, our websites is that if you don't want to buy the book, but you just want to donate to them, like, that's cool. That'd be great, you know. But if if you want to get some content for your game, see some cool art, get some good ideas about how to run monsters a little bit differently or some other ideas for specific characters for, for your next gaming adventure, and you can help out for suicide prevention as well, I think it's kind of a win-win. Definitely. So one of the things I wrote in uh, – blog post that again I'm going to I'm going to put up today so today when you're hearing this so the 26th so I haven't posted it yet cuz it's Sunday but the first time I played D&D it was actually because of my brother so this we're going back about 30 years I had so I was the younger brother and my brother was about four and a half five years older than me and his he was always hanging out with his friends so I was always chasing them just forever chasing them and they would get older and I would get older, but they were always that much further ahead of me. <laughs> Could never quite catch up. But one of the things that they would sometimes do is some of his friends would come over and they would play D&D. So I'm sure this was second edition back in the mid-80s. So I would watch them play and I'd be super curious and I'd you know want to get involved. And of course they were like, no, you're not allowed to play. Get out of here. And I just kept bugging my brother and bugging my brother and finally I wore him down to the point where he's like I guess just kind of telling his friends like fine just, just let him in so he can stop bothering us so they finally let me play I'm super excited I roll up a fighter I can't remember the name of the fighter I really wish I, could, I wish I could remember we're I mean minutes into this adventure we're exploring some cave my fighters like you know some monster shows up in a cave I run up to it try to take a swing at it and a player in the party in the back throws a flask of oil so it hits the monster but it also splashes on me and again I'm young so I don't really see what's coming yet and then another player in the party throws a torch well monster lights on fire I light on fire and now 
I'm on fire. And I'm like, well, is anyone going to help me? And the DM's like, oh, you burned to death. Sorry, your character's dead. No wonder you didn't remember his name. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, can't anyone heal me? They're like, no, we can't heal you. Sorry, we have to keep going down the cave to whatever adventure they were doing. And it was, I mean, it sounds so cruel and heartbreaking, but that was my first exposure to D&D. That's the first time I've ever played it. And I just, I remember that, obviously, because it's, you know, it sounds pretty traumatic. And I stuck with the hobby even after that. But, like, you know, my brother went to bat for me. Like, he at least told his friends, like, hey, you know, let him, give, him a sh- give him a shot. And they gave me a shot, and it was a it was a harsh learning experience. But I sort of have him to thank for my first time rolling some dice, even though he was – I don't think he ever played D&D in his life. I just that he was more into sports and all that. But again, it's kind of fun to think of stories like that, have an excuse to think of stories like that in a year that's been very challenging. And again, I think it gave me a lot of meaning to sort of edit these monsters, make the sto- backstories better and really work with you to and sometimes I felt like a pain to make sure everything lined up with the stat block and the kind of flavor of the character. And, you know, it. I know you guys put a lot of work into this product. So, again, thank you. Well, it's it's strange because I've really come to know myself, especially as a gamer, uh, more since the, the start of Limitless. And, and one of the really ugly truths um, – that I've learned and that uh, you sort of highlighted as we were going through this is I'm a very creative person, but my attention to detail is not always the best. Uh, so I will, you know, work something into that stat block. And then I would see an email from you or like, yeah, that looks good, but you didn't go down to the, you know, page X and, and edit what you changed in the stat block. Oh yeah. So I have to go back. So one of the things that I've learned with limitless is, is I need a lot of proofreaders that aren't myself uh, to go back through, uh, which is embarrassing because, you know, I've, I have a master's in English, but I'm, I'm my own worst proofreader or editor because I'm usually like five monsters ahead in my mind when I'm writing something and I want to I want to get it done so I can move on to this next idea uh, that I've come up with. So it, it helped me stretch as a as an editor and as, as a writer uh, working on this. Yeah, and one of the things that I, I think was re- – you mentioned the stat block. Fourth edition gave me as a as a designer, and for the most part, I would rely on published content, but I always like tweaking things. And, you know, I got into this idea of designing my own monsters, like taking characters from video games and trying to just – like what would a stat block look like in fourth edition for this character? And, like, I always found that enjoyable. It's almost like a puzzle you have to solve. And 4th edition just gave you a lot of flexibility with a lot of different powers. You know, you could kind of come up with anything and just call it, yep, that's a a ranged attack, and that's what they do. Or that's a melee attack or a burst attack or anything. And in 5th edition, I remember asking you so many times, like, how do we do this? How can I have this character do these things and it be legal? And you're like, "Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. 3rd edition and and 3.5, they really had very strict... You know, an aberration can do this. A giant can do this. If you're going to be an insect, you have to have this kind of hit dice. And, you know, it kind of was absurd because if you wanted to, you know, let's say you wanted to create like a giant insect 
to threaten, uh, you know, your 20th level characters, it had to have like 75 hit dice to follow these rules, you know, and then it, it was kind of ridiculous because it would have its to hit would be godlike and just because of the sheer number of hit dice. They really got away from that in fourth edition. I mean, you could just kind of make what you wanted uh, and 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 put the powers that that made sense for that monster. You know, if you wanted to, there it was nothing for fourth edition for there to be a you know a knoll that was a challenge for a 15th level party or a 20th level party. And then they kind of got they circled back to on fifth edition to it's the rules are more codified. That's more. Uh, there's very in the dungeon master's guide there's very you know specific step by step processes for monster creation and while it's not quite as bad as it was in in third and three five we're definitely back to that these monsters followed these rules um which definitely was a de- is a departure from fourth edition and so maybe a good way to illustrate that is to just take one of the monsters that are in the and no assembly required, and just talk about the process of moving uh, the character from fourth to fifth. And you know, one of my favorite characters, one of the favorite monsters I created in here is is a dragonborn pirate, and his nickname is Sliver. So, I guess give me your impression of Sliver first, and then I'll, I'll kind of talk about what went into creating this guy. Sliver was honestly wasn't one of the harder ones to convert, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, he, okay. You know, he followed certain um, archetypes, and, and he could match up um, with some contemporary 5e characters. You know, some some more roguelike characters with with backstab abilities and things, and then just applying those dragonborn that layer of dragonborn feats on top of that with the breath weapon and everything. Um, now we did have to go back and forth a little bit trying to get. Uh, Spoiler alert, Sliver has a wooden hand, right, which is where he, he takes his, his name that's, from. And that's it has, the nickname, yeah. has some interesting, uh, like, wounding abilities and things that come along with it. And we did have to work on that. And also, because one of the things that I really liked in 4th edition, for both both as a player and as a DM, was just the concept, of, the mechanic of bloodied, which... You know, again, it just it complicates the game because then everybody has to think about, okay, my character can do X, Y, and Z different when they're bloodied, or this monster can do different things when they're bloodied, which is just they're at half damage, so or they're at half their hit points. And one of the things that I wanted him to be able to do is when he is bloodied or drops below half of his hit points, that I wanted him to regain his breath weapon. And we were trying to figure out a way, how do we do that? How do we do that in the stat block? Is that something that's okay to do? And we just we finally just put it in there. Yeah, it's it gets the the biggest thing that you and I had issues with um, as we were working on these is damage per round. Mm-hmm. Players and monsters are complete inverses of each other in fifth edition. Players have very few hit points, but they do a lot of damage, whereas monsters have a lot of hit points but they don't do very much damage. So the idea being that, you know, the monster can can survive a few rounds, but is not at the damage threat level of the characters. So if the characters and the monsters both did the same amount of damage and they stood toe-to-toe, the monsters would obliterate the party. So it's this idea of 
you want to keep them around. Like a good example uh, from the SRD is, you know, like the thug. The thug has like 40 hit points and he's at, you know, he's a CR one half monster, but he only does like a die eight. So you kind of have to really wallop on him for, for several rounds, but he's, his damage output is so low that, you know, it, it seems like a good fight because you're going toe to toe and back and forth for four or five or six rounds. But the party's never really at this on death's door deadly encounter when they fight him. Um, so that's one of the rules as written into the game. Uh, and there's a lot of different opportunities for monsters to do damage outside of their standard action. I mean, especially when you start getting into legendary actions, mm -hmm. legendary actions can be taken after each of the player's actions. So, you know, we, we have the ghost dragon in the, in the, the module and, you know, he can, he can attack four times in a round. Uh, so that's where it gets more complicated is it seems like their damage output is low, but you have to keep in mind the fact that sometimes they get multiple attacks in a round or, like with Sliver, when he uses his breath weapon, we have to assume when we're developing the monster that he's going to hit at least two people with his breath weapon. So if his breath weapon did 10 damage, we have to assume for the when we're applying his damage per round that he's actually doing 20 damage. Yeah, and I would, we, would, we would have these either conversations on, on Twitter or through email or just – I'd be making comments in the in the PDF as we were kind of going through drafts, and I'd be like, wait, is this enough damage? It seems really light. Or can we just add an extra attack? Can I make this a bonus action? I always wanted – I was always sticking up for the monsters. <laughs> I always wanted to make them a little bit more – I would say – I wouldn't say challenging, but just more interesting to run or like more of a threat, I guess. Um, and you were always kind of reeling me in and sort of explaining to me just what you went through. And I'd be like, oh, okay, all right, I got it. But it was it was a back and forth for a lot of the a lot of the characters and, and the other one you mentioned another one of the monsters in, in no assembly required is the the ghost dragon Durgoth Balavor it's the name I, I came up with when I go into detail in the book about where that name came from but the idea with the ghost dragon was these auras that kind of sh continuously shift the battlefield and that was something that took a while to. I think hone in on and make it so it's not too cumbersome to run at the table. But what did you think about that process? I think we ended up striking a good balance. There wasn't enough battlefield movement in third edition. Uh, and that was one thing that they really uh, endeavored uh, in fourth edition to change where you could shift your opponents and move them uh, on the battlefield, maybe move them into a flank or move them into more advantageous uh, position for your for your party members and at, it worked really well and that's another sort of area of fourth edition you know fourth edition catches a lot of of, of grief from D, D players but there were a lot of things um that they did well and a lot of things that were were interesting that didn't necessarily make it uh, full force into fifth edition and that movement and battlefield manipulation is one of those areas that sort of been tamped down in fifth edition uh there's less of that moving and shifting on the battlefield but the ghost dragon he still keeps some of that he can move and he doesn't provoke attacks of opportunity 
or he can uh, use his legendary action to, to teleport, which makes him extremely mobile because that means that after every player character finishes their turn, the Dungeon Master has the opportunity to teleport him to a different spot on the board. So it'll make him very challenging. Uh, you won't be able to flank him easily. You won't be able to set him up where you're going to you know, push him into a pit or something like that. And the thing I liked about him and creating him for 4th edition, and we were able to keep it for 5th, is this idea of a variety of auras around the ghost dragon. So the, any creature that starts their turn within 15 feet of the ghost dragon just takes necrotic damage. This thing is a ghost, poisonous, undead. I go into the background of the story about what is the deal with this dragon and how, how did it end up uh, in its current state. So it has this corrupted ground aura that if any creature starts their turn within 15 feet of it, they're taking damage. On the flip side, any creature that starts 30 feet away from it are blinded. So there's this like unnatural darkness that sort of spreads out from this thing. And that combined with the fact that this dragon can teleport and has different abilities to move around the battlefield quite a bit. I mean, it's a little cumbersome to keep track of, but it's definitely for a party that if they get to this challenge level, which I think he's rated as a challenge 22, you know, if they have some tried and true tactics of like, okay, here's how we're going to take down this big threat. Well, the DM now will have a few tricks up their sleeve with this with this ghost dragon to throw some of those tactics for a, for a loop, which I think can be fun. Well, I don't feel bad for the players because I see him more as a solo threat. Mm -hmm. So he really needs to have those tricks up his sleeve and those you know unorthodox methods that uh, that the players aren't really going to expect. And that's one great thing about this pack for all of the creatures is. Players will not be able to anticipate or expect anything that any of these creatures do. And that's great. You know, I've been playing D&D, I think we started in 1994, and I, I've been playing with some of the same people that entire time. And, I mean, we we know, oh, when you when you put this monster out, we know its weaknesses, we know what it's, you know, what, it, what they do. Uh, but when you bring in new content like this, your players are not going to be able to anticipate, and the DM is just going to have a blast running these. Yeah, and I think one of the ones that, well, part of it for me is sometimes not knowing all the rules allows you to break them, and then you would be, okay, how can we kind of make this legal? <laughs> so for the one, another one of the, the monsters in the book, speaking of unexpected, is is Wobit, which... Is full, Wobit is, very cool. is full of surprises. So w what is your take on, on Wobit? Wobit is, Wobit is great because you mentioned video games earlier. To me, Wobit is the one that feels the most um, like he got ported in from a video game because Wobit is this construct, uh, and when you think you've defeated Wobit, you haven't. He kind of powers down and then sort of comes right back as, you know, a, in a new more chaotic, less predictable form, and you have to fight him again. So it, it's going to make for a great fight. It's really two encounters in one, and just that idea of you're facing the same monsters, but now he has an entirely new playbook, pun intended. Yes. Uh, 
story. Yeah, so the, the, a little bit of a spoiler. So in the in the book, No Assembly Required, I talk about what inspired me to come up with this character. And it was really just watching Tim Tebow play football years ago that he was just awful for three and a half quarters. And then for about 10 weeks straight, he was just pulling games just out of his backside in ridiculous fashion and would suddenly win and was a hero. And it was just bizarre fun living vicariously through that. I was just watching that. I'm like, this is great. He's not really good, but somehow he's winning games. And I wondered how, how could I do that with a monster in at the time, fourth edition? So I talked with Grant about it again, the illustrator and kind of pitched him the idea. And he said, well, it kind of sounds like a construct, like something that's really wobbly and breaks down. But then, like you said, kind of rallies and is suddenly really a strong threat and trying to figure out how to do that. What I had settled on and what we kept for fifth edition is he has two stat blocks. So there's a stage one and a stage two. So stage one, he's pretty weak pretty imprecise, isn't going to hit many things, could possibly injure the person he's protecting. And we kind of wrote it up that this construct would have some type of boss that he's or it's protecting and eventually breaks down. But then stage two, he's a major threat and has a lot of interesting powers. And it kind of the hope is that you'd lull the party into a little bit of a false sense of security of like, oh, whatever, this construct's weird and kind of comical. And then all of a sudden it comes back and it's like, whoa, this could totally wipe us all out. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And I just like the fact that, uh, you know, he has the best of intentions of protecting his <laughs> master, but it just doesn't it just doesn't seem to work out. It just doesn't seem to work out for him. Yeah. And I think we we built that into the stat block. So that was another thing that I, would, I was always trying to mess around with is how can I make powers or attack abilities just to add more flavor to combat so one of his reactions in the stage one where he's not that effective is this uh, reaction failed guard if wobit's master is injured within 10 feet wobit attempts to shield its master but stumbles and pushes the master 10 feet and knocks the master prone <laughs> i've got this you know step, step aside i've yeah and then the, then you could you could role play the the master, you know, yelling at Wobit, or it, good fun could be had, I think, for a DM in the group. And there's a lot of little flavor points like that throughout the book. Of realize there's the monster manual. There's a, there's a ton of content out there. I, I I do think we tried to come up with some unique flavor things for this uh, product. I think that that's actually the strongest point of the book. Is it's it's so packed with backstory and you know one thing that i don't really get a chance to do in my own products is i set out like when i write a book i set out to to have 100 of something right so 100 monsters or or 100 encounters but to keep my printing costs down and to ensure that there's you know some kind of profit margin i'm really kind of uh hampered by the amount of words I can use and the amount of words I can fit on a page. So I don't get to go into as much detail as I always would like. But in No Assembly Required, we have each one of these creatures starts with this great behind-the-scenes developer's thoughts on 
why you created this monster, what what was going on, you know, in the in the social uh, environment at that time. And it's really it's really great. And then they have these very detailed backstories um, that will just really make them pop. I don't see these as being you're not going to fight the ghost dragon one time and then and then be done. These monsters, they all strike me as like. You know, these are going to be recurring villains that will will be woven into people's game world and will really be part of uh, the entire campaign arc in a lot of instances. Yeah, and the and the monsters all we did a variety of challenge levels. So I think the lowest one is a one fourth challenge. One of the, the Horfrost goblins, and yep, we have some goblins and a goblin boss. I believe is CR one. Yeah. And then, we, like you say, we go all the way up to past 20. And even with the goblins, uh, and again, Grant kind of helped me with this, is he just wanted to draw some winter goblins. He's like, I just am in the mood to draw that. I was like, all right, well, how can I make that interesting? What, you know, there's a million goblins. You can pull up the Monster Manual and other books, and even probably without even looking at a book, you could run a goblin at your table and kind of have a, a good idea of how it goes. So what I tried to do is come up, well, what would be... What's a good what's a good origin or background story for goblins that are wearing parkas? <laughs> Why would that happen? And so I came up one of them has one of them has a little scarf over his mouth. Yeah. You know, he's he's so cool. He looks like a bandit or something. It's great. Yeah. Um so I came up with, well, let's say Goblin tribes are always warring, and one got pushed out, and they got pushed into a region that really was that not – it just wasn't hospitable. It just was incredibly cold, and it was either get murdered by other goblin tribes or retreat up into this treacherous mountain area where it's frozen, and it was like – there was not a good decision to be had. And this somewhat uh, maniacal leader led them up the mountains, and we just believed that – Something, you know, their God was going to show them the way. And turns out that, and that's one of the other things that uh, some of the monsters in this um, no assembly required come with a magic item. It kind of uh, describes a magic item that they carry and then that the party could uh, obtain if they defeat this monster. So uh, there's a magic item involved that helped them survive and kind of rally some of the winter uh, themed wolves that are in that area and it kind of story goes from there, but there's, I don't know, six or seven paragraphs of here's who these goblins are. Here's how they got to be where they're at right now. And here's about three or four other plot hooks that you could weave into this to go further with this idea if you wanted to. So again, it's 10 monsters, but it could be many sessions or you could make an adventure out of any of this stuff. I see, um, you know, that after the DM reads these these backstories, that's that's part of the reason why I don't think these are going to be one and done because the backstories are so well written and so detailed that, I mean, you feel for these creatures, you understand their motivations. They're not just blindly evil without you know without purpose. They all have goals and things that are driving them to do what they're doing. Uh, and I think that that's going to make the DM less likely to kill them off and to really uh, sort of side with them, you know, and and keep them as part of the as part of the story. 
Yeah, with the goblins, as I was writing their story, I remember years ago, it just turned into a little bit of a global warming metaphor in some ways. And like this, they're kind of struggling with the environment and society, and they're just trying to find a way to survive. And it just goes from there. So yeah, I mean, they're evil goblins, but there's a story there. There's a reason why things are happening. And, you know, some of the other uh, monsters in the book also feature some conflicting, some gray areas. And some, some don't. Some are pretty just, you know, very clear cut. Yeah, this is a bad person and they're, they're not to be trifled with. But there's others who I kind of deliberately made it more of a gray space where the DM and the party could explore that. Yeah, definitely. The best the best villains have to have motivation. They have to have, uh, you know, a reason, a rationale why they're doing the things that they're doing. It, it definitely these monsters all have layers to them, in my opinion. One thing that you mentioned, though, uh, when you mentioned talking about the God, it made me think about we really haven't touched on one of the largest issues that that you and I had in, in, in bringing this from article form into, uh, you know, a saleable product was. I mean, you know that I have, uh, you know, I've been running my blog, uh, Backup's Blessed Blog, for for about eight years mm-hmm. now. And when you write a blog post, you know, you can say whatever it is that you would like, and when you then try and write under the open game license, that becomes a whole new challenge in itself. And I think that was one of the things that was humorous for me was just your realization of of the you can sell these products for Dungeons and Dragons but you can't do you know X Y and C which is always interesting like you know we can't we can legally sell these products and are encouraged to do so by Wizards of the Coast but things like we can't even say Dungeons and Dragons anywhere on our website or anywhere uh, in our product so that made transitioning some of these over to be uh, to be quite interesting. Trying to work around that that IP issues. Right, and I would I would send you notes and emails like, are we allowed to say Dragonborn? Do I have to say Dragonoid? Like, what is going on? <laughs> I would always have questions like that of like, what what words are protected and what what are not? Yeah, it's really it's really an interesting um, road that it's taken because. You know, there's it's really it starts off with the things that that Gary, you know, created from nothing. You know, D&D is like, I don't know if my percents are right here, but, you know, about 50 percent of original Dungeons and Dragons is is Tolkien. You know, about 40 percent of it is uh, Greek mythology. Uh, and then the other 10 percent is like things like Beholders, uh, which are, you know, Gary original creations uh, and it's those gary originals that uh, are the few things that you can't you know you can't talk about and there are certain things that uh you know are specific to dungeons and dragons but they used a name you know like tiamat you know tiamat is a a real goddess in the in the real world so they can't copyright that uh, but you can't really talk about her uh, you know, in a five-headed dragon sort of perspective, so it, it complicates that that idea of intellectual property even further. And some of the characters, because again, I was 
a lot some of these creatures I was using in a in a home campaign a uh, homebrew campaign for fourth edition, but I was borrowing liberally from published content and everywhere else. And some of the backgrounds were very much linked to established lore and with that property. And we realized early on, like some of this needs to be reworked quite a bit, <laughs> which we did. And I think it was just a good learning process for me. But it, it kind of comes up a question I had for you, which is maybe a little far afield from the No Assembly Require project, but just for your company for Limitless Adventures, you've been doing this now for a few years. What's the landscape like right now for self-publishing? And my take is that D&D is wildly popular. Kind of, It seems like that's raising all boats. But what is it from your perspective? I mean, it's it's great in the fact that we, you know, we're back under an open game license. Mm-hmm. Uh, third edition, uh, for better or worse, was under an open game license. Uh, they published um, a document called the System Reference Document, which listed the monsters and the, the mechanics that you can and can't address. So it's usually just named things that you can't do. So if it's if it mentions um, you know Dritz, you can't you can't use that. So there was a lot of third party groups that that popped up and. You know, strangely, we wouldn't even have Pathfinder if, if that open original open game license hadn't been published. And then Wizards of the Coast kind of locked that down on fourth edition, and there 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 wasn't an open game license um, for fourth edition mechanics. And then when they brought back, uh, it was funny because when we first started Limitless Adventures, we wrote Wizards of the Coast. There was only a few people that were making third party five E stuff. Uh, some people like. Like Goodman Games was was doing things, but you could see uh, they were sticking to the monsters and the things that were still existing under the third edition open game license. So we wrote to Wizards and said, you know, what are the rules? And we kind of got a quiet, hey, just just be patient. And then you know, like within the month, they had then published and said that fifth edition would be open game license again. And here are the rules. And since then, it's really taken off. There's a lot of uh, other third-party content makers. And then they kind of complicated it even further by the creation of their website, which is Dungeon Masters Guild, which right. is a platform for you to sell third-party D&D material. But if you sell it only through that site, then you can get away with using some, not all, but some of the intellectual property that belongs to Wizards of the Coast. The stipulation is that at least right now, everything has to be in the Forgotten Realms or completely system agnostic um, or setting agnostic, I should say. Uh, so you can, you know, you can talk about Dritz, you can talk about Elminster, uh, but they have to be in the realms. You can't publish uh, your own game world and you can't publish for other settings that are under the intellectual property of Wizards Coast, so you can't write for Dragonlance or Dark Sun. Uh, now they kind of cheated and and snuck Ravenloft in there uh, as sort of a, a a demi-plane of you know Toril or the Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. But so there's there's no shortage of third-party companies. We've actually uh, kind of started to try and head out to open water ourselves just because 
there is so much Tolkien-esque high fantasy content out there right now that we are, are, are starting to branch out and use those 5e rules to explore other genres other than high fantasy. But if you're a, if you're a game developer right now, it's, it's a great time. And there, there are a lot of companies, but there are also millions and millions and millions of fans and, and Dungeons and Dragons has never been more popular than it, than it is right now. I mean, the fifth edition player's handbook has outsold all the other players' handbooks, uh, not combined, but individually has outsold each edition. Yeah, and I mean, that was one of our first conversations going back and forth of, well, yeah, this sounds like a great idea. Let's let's make these no assembly required. Let's update them to fifth edition. Let's make a book and sell it. Where do we do that? Do we do it through Limitless or through the DM Guild or, or some other option? And I, I'm very happy with the outcome of all that but it was it was a very much a back and forth of well here are the options there's pros and cons to all of them i just imagine it's it's a little bit of a i don't know if a headache is the right word but uh, it's it's tough to make those decisions because there's good things and bad things about i think each each direction you offered there yeah and, and you and i went back and forth on that several times because it's like well you know if we want to talk about tharzadun then we have to do that on DM's Guild. Um, if we want to kind of make that more generic, chaotic, evil god of madness, then, you know, we can go drive through RPG or Limitless or a variation of drive through RPG and Limitless. Or, you know, now we sell our print books. You can get our print books through a company called Indie Planet, who do all of our printing through their parent company, Kablam!, um, so it, it does get to be confusing as to where you can sell these and when you sell them, where you sell them changes the IP that you can use, that intellectual property. Yeah. Well, one of the things about Limitless, uh, I, you know, as we're getting ready to wind down here, I, I just wanted you to be able to talk about the fifth evolution because you were talking about taking fifth edition to different settings and – because you have, as once this releases on the 26th, there'll be a couple of days left in your latest Kickstarter. So tell everybody about that, because I think it's really cool. Yeah, our Kickstarter, it, it will still be going. It'll, it ends here on Friday the 29th. Um, Fifth Evolution, Michael Johnson and I, we had this idea, uh, sort of, we were seeing a lot of people trying to do things with Fifth Edition, uh, and, and there wasn't anything to, to help them. An example is with the you know the popularity of the Marvel Universe now, we were seeing all of these people that were trying to, well, what would 5th edition Avengers look like? Um, and we saw a lot of that. What would, you know, what would the Hulk look like if he was a D&D character? What would Iron Man, you know, what is Iron Man? It sounds like some of the same so, problems we had with some of the characters from for No Assembly Required. Like, how do I make this into a 5th edition uh, threat or character? Yeah. Yeah, and the the strangest thing about it is that the, the what we ended up doing all of these different places they kind of tried to make it make sense with the character classes, and we were running into a lot of the limitations like you and I were discussing. Like, well, you can't really do that. And and what does a first level Hulk look like? How do you how do you make that have that make sense? So what we ended up doing with fifth edition uh, with fifth evolution is. There are no rules for creating your own character classes. 
And honestly, fifth edition is not alone in this. Every edition has suffered from third-party content where player character materials are involved. To me, that seems like that's when you end up heading towards an edition reboot, when you publish too much, too many options for players and you get a power creep. Everything has to be slightly better than what was published previously. And then you get to a point where, where things are, are broken and then the, you know, the publisher ends up hitting the reboot switch and we get a new, a new edition. So to, to get around that, what we did was there are no rules for creating character classes, but there are extensive rules for the creation of monsters. So every stat block in fifth evolution is actually just a monster or an NPC stat block. So it allowed us to make our superheroes, for example, come in uh, at a, a power level of equivalent to about a, a 12th level player character, but they can be dropped into an existing fifth edition campaign or they're completely compatible because they just use those monster rules, which we hadn't seen a lot of that out there right now. Um, we're working on three different uh, genres right now. We Michael is writing a World War II themed book. It's excellent. He has really done a lot of due diligence and research on period weapons and period tanks, and he knows more about these tanks now having done this research um, than anyone else I know. Uh, we have a superhero book. Uh, that's set in a modern day city. And then we ha have our third and final is set in 1985. And it's a uh, rules for running modern day horror, but not in the fact that you are, uh, you know, hunting monsters, but really kind of going back to these monster movies of the 1980s that I grew up watching where you're not hunting monsters. You're you're being hunted by monsters, and and how do you how do you role play that? Yeah, that's awesome. And I know right now you're you're well past your original goal, and there's a couple of stretch goals it looks like that are that are left, um, which you have about a, almost a week here to reach. So best of yeah, luck for you. Yeah, we would like to we would like to put out some uh, some information on a, a a campaign setting for the superhero book. Um, and make that available for free to our backers um, if we go ahead and reach that. So thanks for mentioning Oh, yeah. That. No, I think it, it looks great. I, you know, I've posted it on, on Twitter and stuff before. It's like one of the things right now that I think is an issue, and this was, you know, to some extent when, when fourth edition was getting really popular and a lot of blogs like the two of ours and other ones were there's just a big, it was kind of a really welcoming community out there that there's, it just seems even now like there's more games to play, and I just don't know where to get all the time for that. <laughs> it's like I'm happy to play D&D or something once a month, and it's like I feel like I need like a weekly or bi-weekly game to get in all these good options. There's, there's just a yeah, lot of people uh, putting out a lot of great stuff. I'm blessed right now. You know, I have a, a very understanding wife. I run a, a weekly game every Monday at my home. And then I have a biweekly Thursday game that I that I participate in, and I could still stand to get in a lot more gaming uh, than I currently do. So, and that's kind of the reason we went 
the way we did with uh, Fifth Evolution is because we have so many people that are entering the hobby now. We have so many people that are, are coming in, uh, you know, through um, interest in and in critical role um, or there was, uh, you know, a lot of D&D references and, and things like Stranger Things that really kind of brought new people to the to the uh, to the hobby. And fifth edition is their first edition and they might want to try something new. But they're, you know, reticent to, to learn a new rule set. So we can say, hey, you've already learned how to play fifth edition. Now you can use those same mechanics and, and explore, you know, you know, do a couple one shots of 1980s horror or, you know, do a short campaign of superheroes or you can do, you know, something set uh, during World War Two and still feel comfortable doing it. Awesome. So how can people find out more about the Kickstarter or uh, your other projects and No Assembly Required? Where, where can they go to, to get that information? Well, on Tuesday, No Assembly Required will be uh, up on our website, which is limitless-adventures.com. Um, you can learn about uh, Fifth Evolution at fifthevolution.com, and we're, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter as well. Yeah, and I just want to say you know, thank you for your time coming on the, the pod here to – you know, talk about our design process and kind of how we arrived at the you know, decision to, to donate everything to, to charity. So, again, uh, no assembly required costs five bucks. And every time it's purchased, five bucks is going to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So really, you're, you're buying some content uh, that we think is pretty cool, is, is pretty well done. And you're hopefully help, help, helping someone um, make a different decision. Uh, and get help. So just really excited about that. Uh, really hopeful that, you know, we can make a little bit of a difference here. So, um, yeah, I appreciate everyone's support. If you're listening to the show, if you want to buy the product, that'd be awesome. Uh, if you want to kind of share it with other people, get uh, folks involved. I know there's, you know, a lot of great community and spirit in the tabletop role-playing game community. Um, I'm hoping this is one of those things that just gets spread around a little bit like wildfire and it, Hey, it's five bucks. Like you buy a cup of coffee for more than five bucks. So let's help uh, prevent some depression and suicide and you get some cool content uh, as part of the package, which again, I'm, I'm really pleased to be part of this. And uh, Andy, once again, I, I thank you for, really uh sticking with me here over the last 18 months uh since we first had this idea because as i mentioned earlier in the show life got in the way a few times for me being able to focus on this not all bad i also had had a son and that was exciting and certainly i wasn't able to really be at my computer editing things while he was up and down in the middle of the night (laughs) um but yeah. Well, we're gonna work. We're gonna work together again, and it's not gonna take us as long as it did the. First no, time. we have we have some other ideas, and now that you know we have this out there released into the wild, I, I think it'll be fun to to continue working on some of those ideas and uh, making them a reality. So I'm I'm really excited that No Assembly Required is out there. I'm excited for people to take a look at it. It's great content, and it's for a great cause. It's win win. Yes, absolutely. So. Um, I'm really um, just pleased that that we're at this point and appreciate everyone's uh, support, the folks who have been kind of aware of what's been going on. I've been pretty open about, 
you know, my brother's suicide here on Twitter and have mentioned it in a few of the podcasts. This is probably the most I've, I've talked to about it um, specifically. So just thanks to everyone listening. And, yeah, go buy No Assembly Required and uh, to, donate to a good cause. So, Andy, any final words for us here today? No. I just appreciate you, uh, you know, opening up yourself and your content and then, and sharing that with us and especially, you know, the vulnerability that you showed with this, you know, this, this event in your, in your life and sharing that with everyone. That took a lot of courage. I, I appreciate that. And I, I think one of the things that I've tried to do with my blog, even going back to when I started in 2011 and with some of my podcasts and articles I write is just trying to take the stigma out of mental health. And I think by talking about it openly, talking about therapy openly, like that's, that's what I do. I'm a, I'm a therapist and just trying to let people know, like, these are things that everyone's dealing with anxiety, depression, you know, sadness, grief, loss. I, I I've tweeted this out a bunch of times, but we're all suffering in some way. Like everyone has their own personal story that they're going through. And I think everybody could benefit from therapy. I think it should be like going to your doctor or your dentist. I think you should just, everyone should have a therapist. It's, it's a good thing. And it's not a bad thing to talk about emotions and we should just be helping each other out. There's a lot of angst and a lot of kind of negative things going on in the world right now. So it would be good to be proactive in the other direction. Let's try to help each other out. And that's what I've tried to do with, with the blog a bit is just make mental health stuff less scary. And part of that is designing some monsters and trying to have fun with it. Yeah. And I, I honestly think that people are going to, you know, they're going to play this at the table and it's going to come up. Oh, where did you get that? Oh, you know, and then the story will come out and, and it's going to it's going to create a conversation and it's going to help, you know, raise awareness around the tables. And if, if people are hurting, it says it's right on the cover. It shows them the resources where they can go to and get some help. Yes. And so as a final note, just, you know, thank you again to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Uh, we kind of worked with them on the front end to make sure this was uh, just to make sure we had all our uh T's uh, crossed and I's dotted uh, to make sure they were on board and they were more than happy for us to like include their logo on the book and said, yeah, go for it and kind of use their website, uh, which you can go to and just check to see how much money we, we've raised over time. So that'll be fun to track and hopefully it just keeps going up and up. Agreed. Excellent. Well, thank you, sir. And we'll have to do this again sometime and then just maybe talk more about Fifth Evolution or designing in Fifth Edition or any number of topics. This was fun. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you.